0: give the world to see where the music suddenly play in, and the rhythms gently sway in Underneath the stars, with a million bars, guitars are softly saying. Mexico. You there you are, for those of you who just uh, tune in for that uh, particular <laughs> 15 <laughs> seconds. There it was, Mexico and uh, Long John Baldry. Uh, it's to Mexico that we go now to Campeche and say uh, a very good evening to our good friend uh, John Bonfilio. John, very good evening to you.
1: Good evening, Martin.
0: Now, just a harking back to last week uh, when you were talking about uh, chile 's new leader, uh, Gabriel Boric. Um, I th- there was a thing in the uh, the, the Sunday Times took, took a great interest in this and said it sort of uh, indicated a leftward move in politics in uh, Latin America and printed uh, they printed a graphic where they went through the sort of political complexions of various places um, a lot of which had a sort of um, well some of them had elected left-wing leaders some of them had the left-wing party leading in the polls for, for elections this year and just going through the map here the, uh, only countries I can find that are not either left-wing or, or actually leaning that way were Uruguay, Paraguay, Ecuador, Costa Rica, Guatemala and Guyana. Um, and they, they, they were basically said they're all moving in the same sort of direction as Chile, who, um, I suppose he's been called South America's first woke president. (laughs) Uh, yeah tattooed former student activist and all that does it i mean is that your view as well that it 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 sort of represents that that election represents a shift in the direction of uh, politics in in latin america
1: i think it does a little bit uh to some extent i mean these things are cyclical there was the pink tide of the early 2000s as well in which there was a series of leftist leaders that came to power and then that shifted again to the right i think i think two things really one is it's important to distinguish um between a a traditional left say a progressive left and also totalitarian regime so i don't think you can just say that there is you know a, a leftward uh tendency in um in in latin america and also the fact that i think you need to separate away from states which have currently autocratic um, you know uh, leaders the likes of Venezuela Nicaragua to some extent Cuba that would be seen as leftist but also if Jair Bolsonaro had his way uh, you know he'd he'd do the same in a rightward sense in in Brazil and actually Naib Bukele you didn't mention the right you know there in El Salvador but you know he is largely an authoritarian uh, leader who, who doesn't you know go by the standard checks and balances there as well so I think you've got that You know, the history of Latin American politics has this unfortunate, whether you go back to the military hunters or or people getting carried away in a kind of Nicolas Maduro sense now in Venezuela on the, you know, on the ego trip of of power um, and then abuse uh, power and control. So you've you've got that aspect of things. But I think where um, the left is at the moment, interestingly, in Latin America is that you you do have a, a tension between the traditional left of, say, your, your leaders in Mexico and Peru at the moment. And as you said a second ago, you know, the more progressive left, which definitely includes Chile's new president, which includes, uh, the new, uh, parliament and president in Argentina and so on. And those two different kinds of left are as different, you know, from each other as they are mm. from a sort of center right. So, so yeah, has there been a rejection of neoliberal uh, tendencies of the past, maybe 10 years in privatization and and, and, and so on, um, and lack of social infrastructure, for sure. And I think also COVID has a lot to do with that, uh, you know, in terms of how people are reacting to that also. but But I don't think it's as straightforward as saying, you know, the continent is going to the left.
0: It's interesting, your analysis there, because the Sunday Times said exactly the same thing, it said here, <laughs> COVID, COVID-19 has been a driving factor in the latest political shift as one of its consequences. Rising poverty uh, sways voters towards those who pledge uh, social spending uh, increases. So that more or less uh, what you were saying. Uh, I saying was well. lucky. Uh, Yep, it is, isn't it? It shows you bang on the button. Uh, now, you've got a, a very bizarre uh, spy story for us. Tell us that one.
1: We do like a spy story on your yes. uh, subterfuge story on your <laughs> program, Martin. Nuclear <laughs> secrets. Yeah, you may have remembered. I mean, your listeners may have remembered this bizarre story from uh, last autumn where the, this couple uh, who lived in Washington in Annapolis, Jonathan and Diana Tobe, were arrested of selling technology uh, around, you know, basically technology based around how nuclear reactors worked to to a foreign power. But that foreign power was was unrevealed. We never knew which one it was. And it turns out that this guy, Jonathan Tobe, had been stealing secrets or documents, uh, classified documents from the U.S. Navy Yard in Washington for years. And then two years ago, approached this foreign government. Um, and it was revealed yesterday as being, surprise, surprise, Brazil that he approached. Turns out that the couple didn't think you know, they thought that it was morally uh, uncouth to sell secrets to aggressive foreign powers like a China or a or a Russia uh, or an Iran, but they were okay with selling it to a sort of semi-friendly foreign power that maybe had an interest in, you know, in developing their own nuclear uh, nuclear technology. Brazil has been trying to develop nuclear technology since 1978 and is currently developing a fleet of nuclear submarines in association with France. So they figured that this was kind of, you know, maybe it was just about okay. You know, maybe they could sleep at night if they sold the nuclear, nuclear secrets to Brazil. But what was really interesting about it was that they actually wrote a letter to the Brazilian intelligence, um, offering to sell these nuclear secrets. And the and, uh, Brazilian intelligence were obviously a little bit sort of, a, "Oh wow, this is interesting." Immediately referred it to the FBI, um, who instigated a plan to start negotiating with uh, with Jonathan and and uh, and Diana. And at one point. Um, there's uh, there's reports of the fact that Jonathan was suspicious that the person who was negotiating them with them with him was perhaps not who he might have been so um they agreed for um a sign to be held up in a brazilian diplomatic office in in washington in order to to prove that um that the person was who was negotiating with them was real at which point uh, the brazilian government had to become complicit in this because the us authorities the fbi had to go back to brazil and say look we need you uh, to go through with this, so you've got this, you know, this bizarre setup where Brazilian flags are being waved on the third floor east wing of a particular, you know, Brazilian consulate in Washington. At which point the Tobes were happy with what was taking place, and then smuggled um, the secrets, uh, three, over three thousand documents of the secrets, uh, in peanut butter into, uh, into the, into the offices, and uh, and then were promptly arrested.
0: Bizarre, absolutely true. funny old world, isn't it? Yeah, and it is, it really is. Yeah, uh, and so, uh, well, I suppose it's not really related, but, um, a judge has approved the extradition of the, the former Honduras president, uh, to the U.S. Tell us about that story.
1: Yeah, Juan Orlando Hernandez, who we, we've covered a little bit on your, on your program, the problems that have, uh, you know, uh, blighted Honduras for, for, well, through history, military rule, corruption, poverty, now increasingly natural. Uh, disasters and, and so on but the timeline of this the timeline and who the guy is, is is most marked he was in office in january he was arrested after leaving office in february and he's now um, a judge in honduras has now said that he can be extradited to the u.s to face drug trafficking and weapons charges so in the space of over the course of three months uh, an eight week period eight to ten week period he's gone from being president of honduras also important to say the U.S.'s biggest ally, certainly in Central America, to being, you know, a likely um, convicted criminal on on drugs offences in, in 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 the U.S. Uh, he says, obviously, weren't me, Gov. Uh, this is uh, he's being <laughs> stood up for this. Uh, people seeking revenge and it's politically motivated and and so on. But you know, uh, his brother is currently serving life in a Miami prison for also for for drug tra- trafficking offences. Um, so this is really only likely to go. One way, and it's not yeah. with Juan Orlando Hernandez seeing much of, you know, the dawn sunlight, uh, over the coast of, you know, rising over the coast of the Atlantic anytime soon.
0: Yeah, absolutely not. Um, and just finally, um, that we talk about it a lot, uh, Canelo Alvarez, um, loads of headlines. There's going to be an announcement, uh, about his next opponents, I suspect.
1: Yes, that there, there has been. There has been. He is, he's moving up a division, which I guess we kind of, all suspected, seeing as he unified the super middleweight division in 2021 for the first time in, in history. Um, so he's stepping up to to light heavyweight, where on May the 7th, uh, he's facing Dimitri Bivol, WA uh, champion since 2016, and on probably the most illustrious weekend for Latin American boxing fans, because it 7th of May, and it happens to be on the on the weekend of the Cinco de Mayo or the 5th of May, which mm-hmm. actually, strangely, has become more important in the U.S. and North America than it has in Latin America. Yeah. In Mexico, it's just commemorates the only battle that Mexico won in a war which they lost against the French, so it's not particularly you know to be held up and glorified here but somehow in the US it's become uh, the most important Mexican holiday and uh, yeah the crowds flock to to a boxing bout mm. uh, on that weekend so that's what's coming up next for him so we'll see what takes place thereafter whether, you know assuming he he wins he's got a you know an incredible record against bigger um, bigger heavier fighters with with uh, broader reach and so on so you would think he you know you, you'd be a brave man to bet against him and whether he will continue in the uh, in the light heavyweight division and try and unify that um, as well. But, you know, for sure, followed by absolutely everybody here and the nation's uh, the nation's hero.
0: Yeah, Uh, I think probably Cinco de Mayo has become so important in the uh, US because of uh, there was a Seinfeld episode all about uh, Cinco de Mayo. So, you know, probably a lot of people who weren't aware of it until that Seinfeld thing was about all the cars and the traffic jams that you get in New York when um, when it's on. So maybe that contributed. Who knows?
1: If I've learned anything from your program, Martin, it's that almost everything (laughs) On Earth can be traced back to Seinfeld or The Simpsons.
0: Indeed, absolutely right. And you know, I I cleave to that view. Um, John, thanks uh, ever so much. We'll talk again next week, if that's okay. All right. Take care. Good man. Good man. There we go, Jonathan Bonfilio, from uh, Campeche in uh, in Mexico.